Halloween is time for trick or treating. And this chat is definitely a treat. I can't believe I got the incredible opportunity to do a podcast with this man. He's humble, he's undeniably gifted, he's the simply phenomenal best selling author, Chris Carter. Chris has done many fascinating things over the years studying criminal behavioral psychology, playing the guitar for the likes of Bjork and Michael Bolton, and now writes the most descriptive crime horror books probably anyone has written. We talk about his experience in criminal behavioral psychology and the horrific things he witnessed, his days as a musician, and how he came to be a writer. Some of the content is intense and shocking. His storytelling is remarkable and a podcast I'm certain you'll have to listen to more than once. I'm clearly too excited for this chat, so let's get on with the show. Are you ready? Let's go. So I'm ready when you are. Let's rock. <laughs> Let's do this. Tell me a typical day in the life of Chris Carter. <laughs> a typical day. My days are boring. I think most most writers will be boring because I I struggle with insomnia, so I, I wake up very very early every day, like ridiculously early, like three thirty. So I just change gym. So I'm in a gym that it doesn't close. Uh, it's called Pure Gym. Most people mm. go there, so I can turn up any time. So I wake up early. So the first thing I do. I always go training because I learned this a, a, a while ago in my life. It's like I, I always try to start my day with something that I consider positive and constructive because in case the day goes bad, which in my, in my case uh, happens a lot, then at least you scored first. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So if you start the day with something that, that makes me feel already done something that's good, um, I try to do that every day. So, um, so I go training and then I come back take a shower, and now I start working every day uh, in between 7 and 8 in the morning, uh, whatever I have to, to do for work. At the moment, I'm doing edits, but when I'm writing, but I'm very practical. Um, so, for example, when, I, when I'm writing, every author has his own way of writing, you know. So I, what I do is like I have a certain number of words that I want to finish every day. And once I, I get to that number of words, I, I, I'm done. So some days, are, every day is different. Some days I can be finished really, really early. And that's why I try sometimes to, to divide in between morning and afternoon because I don't want to be finished all, all, everything in the morning because then I have nothing to do in the afternoon. Mm. And I would rather have something to do every day than not. So what I do is, um, because my first book was around 100,000 words, so I consider all of my books around, around 100,000. So when I get my deadline, I make a calculation how many words I need to write every day from the day that I start into the day of my deadline to hit around 100,000 there. And that's what I do. So I, I don't go over. So I don't work uh, weekends. Um, another thing I learned throughout my career is like at first I used to. It's like I was always concerned about the book. I was always concerned about the story. Now I learned that you need to have time for yourself. You need to have time for your friends or else everything goes bad. So I don't work weekends unless I am really, really behind on my deadline. Um, other than that, I don't work weekends. So I calculate how many words I have to do like five times a week um, to finish in eight months, nine months, whatever I have. And that's pretty much it. I'll, I'll work into, I hit the number of words I needed to, to hit. And that's the end. I, I, once I'm done, I come down and I 
watch a series, watch TV, I read. I'm, I'm starting to read more now because I, I, I definitely don't read. But I watch a lot of documentaries and everything. So that's it. Um, and because my insomnia is so bad anyway, like I said, um, I get up so early, I end up going to bed very early during the week. Mm. So I usually try not doing anything during the week because I will crash by 8 o'clock. Um, so my day really is boring. It's not, it's not an exciting thing. The, exci- the excitement happens inside my head. <laughs> it <doesn't, laughs> that's it, most authors it is. It's like what you do is, you know, basically you're get, getting paid to, you go into your own head, into a story, and you put that into your paper. That's your, that's your job. So in your head, you can create all these kind of things. But your day really is just you sit in front of the computer all day long, you're typing, and then once you're done typing for the day, that's it. You go anything else you do you know if people um have a family and stuff then you can other things to do. but i live by myself so it's like once, I, once i'm done i come and i'll watch some documentary i'll watch some films or something i go to bed and then until the weekend that's when i party <laughs> <laughs> i love that though <laughs> i love to rave myself we do absolutely have that in common <laughs> so tell me about your days because you weren't always a writer were you you started off doing various things and you were even a musician at one point so can you tell me the story about your days as a musician and what it was that led you into being a writer okay so be a musician so I, I always love music and I always love playing um so I I graduated from school very very early I was 15 years old uh, I skipped two years in school so I ended up going to university I was 15 um and I got accepted at several universities in America but I went to Ann Arbor in Michigan um, and that's where I studied criminal behavior psychology. And that was right at the beginning of criminal behavior psychology. Um, right, like right at the beginning of the profession. Wow. So there's a series on Netflix, I think it's called Mindhunters. And it talks about exactly that. The two guys um, from the FBI, they were psychologists. And then they got into a case. And, and that's what they started doing. They started traveling America, talking to, to killers, to serial killers, and trying to figure out if there are things that match on all of them, if there are things that certain uh, characteristics that all of them possess, they're trying to match things to see, are there any kind of way that you can profile a person that can become a serial killer? So that was the beginning, right? Mm. If you watch that series, you see that. Um, so the NCABC, which is the National Center for Analysis of Violent Crimes of the FBI, and the BAU, which is Behavior Analysis Unit, which is all where the profilers work. Those were thought of around 1984 and then stipulated around 1985 by Ronald Reagan, which was the president of the United States at the, at the time. Um, I graduated in 1985. So, wow. so this is the beginning, Yeah. right? No one knew what the profession was. It was a brand new profession. I remember when I got to university, I was like, oh, this is a new thing. I was like, well, it sounds good. <laughs> I mean, the, the name of it. So back then it was called criminal behavior psychology. Then they changed it to criminal psychology and now it's called forensic psychology. It's the same goddamn course. They just love changing names. Psychologists, <laughs> psychologists love him doing that. They love changing names of things or Evolving. creating. <laughs> so, so that was right at the beginning, um, and they they didn't know really what the profession would do, how how to treat the profession. You know, it was a brand new thing. So at the beginning, we were treated like detectives. We were taken to every crime scene in situ, which is like the victims were still there. So we we were like. Detectives, we were turning up and, and crime scenes with all the victims are still in the crime scene, all the victims dead, um, because that's what they want us to do. So what we did, obviously, we analyzed the scene, analyzed the victimology, analyzed the level of violence used, 
and all different kinds of things, the kind of crime, the kind of violence that was used in the crime scene. And then, and that's the thing that a lot of people say that criminal psychology is, oh, it's an amazing profession. It's so interesting. It is. But I always tell people, if you think about it, right, we, we study all those years in university and you go through all that. And our job is to take a guess. We guess. You know, psychology is not an exact science. Two plus two is not always four in psychology. So what we do, we analyze the victimology, analyze the level of violence on the, on the scene, or analyze the scene itself. And then we guess. We go, we think that the person that you're looking for, the person who did this, is so and so, such and such. So we put them in an age bracket. You put all different kinds of things. But it's a guess. At the end, it is a guess. You know, this is wow. not. It's not. And and that was a, a, a huge problem at the beginning, because because it was such a new profession. Um, a lot. What happened a lot in America was a lot of police forces. They were taking the word of a profiler as the Bible, right? And and there were so many mistakes. Because if a profiler say, look, we think that the guy you're looking for is in between the age of 30 and 40, and he's like a white male, and he's from a middle-class family, he, he probably has a job or he doesn't have a job. And then they found someone who was a suspect and was actually the killer, but it didn't fit into that profile that was given. They will let the guy go, right? Oh, my God. This happened <gasps> at the beginning. It happened so so much. So unsettling. Um, it was horrible. It was Whoa. horrible because, again, it was a brand new profession. And then they thought this is going to save, you know, America, the crime world. And and it wasn't. So there was a lot of mistakes at the beginning. But that's when I started. So it was it was a great, great profession. Very <laughs> unsettling because, like I said, you were taken to crime scenes, which, which criminal psychologists nowadays don't. You know, they will read the files, they will watch, they can take a look at the photographs, they look at the videos that have been recorded, but they don't turn up at the scene. And there's a whole difference. It's like, obviously, you can go into, a, into the internet now and search, and you will find the most horrific videos and photographs from crime scenes. But it doesn't matter how many videos you watch, how many photographs you take a look at, when you are at the scene, something is different. There's an atmosphere to a crime scene, there's a smell to a crime scene oh. that you cannot portray in any, in any other way, writing, photographing, filming, you can't get it. Um, so it, it was a different thing. And, and we did that for years, like for years. And it was, you could see, it's like, it, it, that's the thing about the, the, that profession. It's, it's like being a detective, a homicide detective, right? Um, no day is a good day. It's like, even the days that you could help the police apprehend a suspect or something, it's still there's been people people have died before yeah. you are after. So somebody yeah. already have died. Um, so every single day while you're dealing with this is pain, is evil, is death, is sadness. Um, that's what you deal with every single day, day in, day out, day in, day out. It just takes you know, you think how long can I carry on doing this before I break? Because if that's what you do every single day, you're dealing with that. You're running after criminals. And that's why a lot of detectives that you see in films, they're all angry. You know, that it is because that's what we do. They deal with violence every day, right? And like any, if the environment you live in is a certain way, you, are, you start to um, soak in everything about the environment. So if you live in a violent, violent environment, you will become violent. There's no way you won't become violent. Right. And that's why a lot of detectives, a lot of police officers, 
are violent. They're dealing with violence every single day, every single day. That's what they deal with. Right? They get angry. A, it's hard for you to live in a certain environment and not absorb what's around you. So, so I did that for many years, but I was young. Like I said, I was, <laughs> I was in university very young. I graduated, I was 19, and then I worked with it until I was like 20, 26. And I, um, and I always loved music. And you always think, okay, if you're, if you're going to get into music, you got to get it while you're young, you know, because like, I, I, I love rock music. So I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to get a, a deal with my band. And you think you're not going to do that when you're too old. So it's like, I, I, I was like, I either got to do this now or not. So that was the main thing. But I could give you all different kinds of excuses why I decided to give up criminal psychology, become a, a guitarist in a rock band. But to tell the truth, it's like I figure out that I... I could get more girls by being a guitarist in the rock group than I could, than I could by being a criminal psychologist. I was like, okay, I'm going to give this shit a go. Yeah. So I went to America. So I went to California. I, I sold everything and I went to California. And it's, it's, it's not a thing that's like my, my father was, was a very nice person because I remember you know, when you want to tell your parents that, okay, you've been through all university and you study and you spend all the money and then you you had such a, a good profession, it's like a solid profession, and then all of a sudden you want to give all those up to go play guitar. And it's like so you expecting, you know, your parents to go, Are you nuts? and everything. And my father just said the first question was like, Do you do you think you're good enough to do it? Because he said, Look, if you don't think you can make it, I said, But you think you're good enough to, to make it, I was like, Yeah. And he goes, If you think you're good enough, go do it. I said, Go do what you want to do. Don't do uh, what I want you to do or your teacher want to do, you got to do what you want to do. So I, because then you have nobody to blame. If it doesn't work out, it's you. And it's, it's the old thing, right? You can, you can fail doing something that you never wanted to do. If you just work, you know, if you want to, mm -hmm. you, you study whatever your parents push you to study and then you're not successful. So you can fail at something that you, you never wanted to do. So you might as well fail, fail in something that you want to do. <laughs> um, so I went and it's sort of, it was it was that way. It's like so. I played in a lot of bands and and I I met a lot of great people, but never really got the deal that I wanted. You know, we got close, but never got the got the, the music deal. But then I got lucky as a session musician, and a session musician is a musical prostitute. They pay you play. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you like the music or not. You know, and that's that's how it works. It's like you you play country, you play pop rock. It doesn't matter. It's mm -hmm. like they pay you and you play. And I got lucky with that. So I, I, I lived in California for many years in, in L.A. And the music wasn't going. I, I was still trying with a band and thinking, oh, maybe you get there. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was, it was struggling. And then the drummer in the band that I was playing, he was a session musician. Um, and uh, his session agency called him and said, I remember you telling us that the, the new guitarist in your band is, is Brazilian. And the guy said, yeah. And, and, and the session guy said, can he play Bossa Nova, which is a Brazilian mm -hmm. style of music, like jazzy music? And, and the, guy, the drummer said, I have no idea. I can ask him. Um, so he gave me a call and said, do you know how to play Bossa Nova? I was like, yeah, why? So he said, you're going to get a call. So this guy from the session he gives me a call and says, um, I heard that you can play Bossa Nova. I was like, yeah. So and he goes, do you want to play for Bjork? And I was like, excuse me? Mm -hmm. And he goes, do you want to play for Bjork? Bjork needs a guitarist who can play Bossa Nova. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, yeah. you call out of the blue, like if somebody who's want to play for Bjork. I was like, yeah, okay. And he goes, no, I'm serious. Um, so I was like, okay. 
So he gave me the address of the studio. I turned up at the studio and it was Bjork. Um, wow. That must have been amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was sort of incredible. And that, that's, what, that's the first time that my luck really paid off. It's like, so the percussionist that was doing the session as well, he was Brazilian. So obviously we hit it off straight away because when you meet somebody from your country, hey. So <laughs> we were talking and everything. And then he said, give me, your, give me your number because he ran his own session agency. And he said, give me your number because I can get you jobs. I was like, okay. So, you know, again, I was like, yeah, right. So I gave him that. And then a week later, I got a call from him and said, do you want to play for Michael Bolton? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, Michael Bolton is a guitarist and everything. I think it would be perfect. And I was like, uh, all right. So wow. I played for Michael Bolton for like wow. a couple of years. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's it. It, it, it. Like most jobs, if you get a good name on your CV, then doors start opening, right? So, oh, this guy played for Bjork. Get him in. Right. And then you get another name. Mm -hmm. Oh, he played for Bjork and Michael Bolton. Get him in. So that's sort of like my luck kicked in. But again, so it was never my own band, but I, I was still playing music. I was still traveling the world. You know, you get well paid, but it's, it's, it's not a guaranteed job. So they, they will hire you for, for a season, you know, while they, the album just came out and mm -hmm. you got to do a tour. So you're going to have a job for like three months, four months, or sometimes if it's a big tour for a year. And then when it ends, it ends. It's like, now what do you do? So you got to wait for another session. So it's not, it's really hard for you to make plans, you know, because you don't know if you're going to have an income in two months time, three months time. But, but it was great. You know, when you're young, like I said, when you're young, everything is game. You know, it's like you do. It's like, I'm going to move from, from, uh, um, Michigan to California to be a guitarist, right? Because I'm by myself and I'm young. I'm like, I don't care. I can do it. <laughs> you know, you say, if I need to struggle, you struggle. If you need to sleep on the corner, you sleep on the corner. You know, if you need to have no money for you to, you know, manage to eat only once a day, you can do that, right? You, obviously, if you have a family, if you're married, you can ask your wife to, you know, to struggle with you. But when you're young, everything is game. It's like, yeah, it's an adventure. <laughs> so I did. I did loads of that. So, yeah. So that's how I moved from criminal psychology to, to music. But obviously, in between, there's everything. I did everything possible. You know, like I, I work in burger places. You know, I clean floors. I was a stripper for a while. Ooh. <laughs> I, I, did, I did exotic dancing, basically. Nice. Chippendale group. Um, whatever, whatever came, you just, you know, like you need money. Um, and that, like, again, when you're that young, everything is game. People offer you something. I'll pay you this much. Yep. <laughs> I'm in. Um, so I did, I did all different kinds of things before I, I became a, a writer and writer was never something I ever wanted to do. Um, most authors I know, they always wanted to write like from a very young age in school, they would read a lot and they would write their own short stories or create their own characters in their head. I was not that person. Never. I didn't even read very much. Um, not even at all. Um, and that's why to me, such a twist in, in, in my life, uh, the career I have now, because it was never something I never written anything, nothing like I never written a short story in my life. I never written anything. I just decided to write a book and I wrote a book and I got a deal. Um, which, which to me again, is like, I remember all, all, if you, you can look on the internet and all the advice from every author is like, look, get prepared for rejections because it's part of the business, right? It's like my agent, for example, he receives um, 350 submissions a month. Wow. Right? He signs two authors a year. 
if you make the calculation, that's you, what you have a chance in 5,000 to get signed by him. Right. It's, it's the competition. There's a lot of authors yeah. trying to get in. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a, it's, it's very, very tough. So people say, look, get ready. There's so many stories of like authors that have boxes and boxes of rejection letters. So I read that and I was like, well, I have nothing to lose really, but I was like, I'm never going to get it. Right. Um, and somehow by some miracle, I, I never got rejected. I sent out one manuscript to one agent and he called me back. Um, that, one uh, agent wow, and, I called, wow, and he was wow. a big agent because I read on the internet and said, okay, this is how you get an agent. Make a list of all the agents that re represent your genre because not every agent represents certain genres. So like, obviously crime fiction is the most so genre on the planet. So pretty much every agent represents that, but certain like some won't represent kids. Some won't represent um, fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a poet, you're in dipshit because no <laughs> one wants to represent poet because it doesn't sell. Agents right. are there to make money. Yeah. Agents are not there to, to help you out. They are there because they think I can sell this guy. I can make money out of, out of what he writes. Mm -hmm. Right. If you if you write poetry, they know it's a very niche market. You know, people don't really buy it, so there's very very little money to be made. They don't they they don't want to sign you because they go, I'm not going to make any money out of you. It's a business. All of the, everything on the planet is a business. Mm, so sure. I got very lucky. I sent out one manuscript and I got called. And I was like, really? Um, so I went had a meeting with him. He liked he liked the story. So we worked on it. Then. He sent that out. We worked on it for like six, seven months, actually. And then when he sent that out, you know, a, a few companies got interested. Um, there was a bidding war, and then all of a sudden I had a book deal. And I was like, what? A bidding um, war. That's impressive. Was, I never, I was like, look, I seriously, I, I was like 10 times a better guitarist than I was a writer and <laughs> never managed to get a, a, a deal with music. And here I was getting a, a deal with, with books. And I was like, wow, this is weird. And then, and like I said, I didn't even read very much. You know, I didn't read, never written a short story in my life, never read anything in my life, right? All of a sudden, I write one book, first time out, boom, here I am, 13 books later. I, and it I still amazes me. But I love doing it. And that's a funny thing. And I started when I was very, very late in my life. I was 42 already. And it's funny. It's like at that age, you can find something that you love so much because I love writing and I love sitting down, thinking of the stories, thinking of the characters. And I never did that before. So you can find something that you just love doing it. And, you know, at such a, a late age. And yeah. I mean, obviously not compare me to Van Gogh or anybody to Van Gogh, but Van Gogh only grabbed a brush for the first time ever, never painted before at the age of 28. He never done anything. At the age of 28, he grabbed a, br a brush for the f first time and it's Van Gogh. Mm. So... Just to show that it's like you can, there's never late for you to find something. Even if you didn't know, it's like, I did not know I like writing. I did never ever in my life thought about, I'm going to write anything like, you know, nothing. And then here I am. So that's pretty much how I ended up where <laughs> I am at the moment. <laughs> but how did you come to write that first book? Like what was your influence? Was it from your days of criminal? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so uh, this story, I told him, a thousand times but I, it was a dream I, I i never like i said i never thought i would write and then i i had a dream this this one night um which was a very different dream from my regular so i've always struggled with insomnia and i my dreams are always crazy you know they're all broken and stuff they never make any sense so i had this dream 
that the first thing that was different is that it made sense. It was a whole story. So it had a beginning, middle, and end. And the second thing that was odd was like, I remember the dream because I, I never do. And I, I remember I woke up and I told my, my girlfriend at the time, I said, I had this odd dream. Um, it was a story. So I told her the story. And she was like, that's a, that's a good story. You should write it. And I was like, you know what? I will. But then that's me never writing anything. I said, I will. And that's the main difference. I say a lot of people that want to write. Like, I actually did. The next day I woke up and said, I'm going to write this. But here is me, no experience, never written a short story, don't know what to do, and decided. But this dream that I had had absolutely nothing to do with crime fiction. Nothing. It was a complete different story. All right. Completely different story. Um, and I started writing this the, the thing. I didn't know if it would just be like a story or be a book, but I started writing the first chapter of this crazy dream that I had. I remember writing, you know, and I stopped and I thought, this is absolutely crazy. I was like, I, I never wanted to write anything. And here I am writing uh, a story. But because of my background and everything I've been through with criminal psychology, it's like I can probably come up with a crime story a hundred times better and faster than I can with this crazy story. So it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I wrote one chapter of my crazy dream and I wrote one chapter of a crime story again. So I had no story in my head. I just said, okay, what's going to be a good opening chapter for a crime book? That's it. I didn't need the whole story because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this book. So I just wanted, okay, what would be a good chapter? If I read this as a first chapter, I was like, oh, I want to carry on reading. So I came up with the first chapter of the Crucifix Killer like that. Right? No story. That's why um, I'll say that. But So I did that. Then went back to my girlfriend when I finished both at the end of the week and gave it to both of her. So this is a dream, but this is a, a crime story. She used to read a lot, but she didn't like um, crime stories. But she read both first chapters and she said, the crime story is better. I was like, of course it is, because you already opened up with a murder. So it's, it's intriguing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I was like, okay. So, so she said, oh, you should carry on. So I wrote chapter two and three of the crime story. Again, no, no, no story in my head. I just wrote, okay, if this happened in the first chapter, what's going to happen in the second one and then the third one? And that was it, right? And then she like she really liked it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Then I give it to a friend, right? And he read it. He goes, this is very good. So you should carry on. And I was like, okay, this is odd. So I, and I, I told him, I said, look, please, if I suck at this, tell me I suck. Don't, don't let me spend a year doing something <laughs> that I don't know how to do just simply because you guys don't want to offend me. I was like, just tell me. I said, no, no there's no way we like. So then I carried on. So I was, then I was like, okay, now I have to come up with a story. So I had those three first chapters. Then I started creating a story and then I carry on doing it. I did it for eight months and then finished the book. But this is, this is the thing. So the crucifix killer, the, um, which is my first book, um, the original book Hunter pretty much dies in the end of the story. He doesn't, he doesn't win. He does. He dies. Oh. It wasn't supposed to be a series. This is supposed to be a one book. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote the book and he doesn't win. The killer wins in the end. Right. So that's why when I sent it out and I got a call from my agent, I, I, I found it weird, but he said, I love your story, but your ending doesn't work. And I was like, why not? And he goes, because your detective dies. He says, what the hell? And I was like, well, yeah. And then I said, why don't you come for a meeting? So I went for a meeting. And then he said, do you, have you ever thought about making this a series? I was like, no. And he said, can I suggest that you do it? And I was like, why? And he said, two reasons. One, series are easier to sell to a publishing house. Right. Right. Because... Readers like series. They like mm-hmm. to go back to what they already know. 
So that's reason one. So reason two is that I really, really liked your detective and said, and I think your detective can be a, a very good serious detective. And said, and I'm an agent. So, so, so if I'm saying this to you, it's because your detective is good. He said, I'm not saying this. He said, I really liked him. So then I had to go back and change the last half of the book, like half of the crucifix. I had to go mm. back and change and make Hunter not die. And until today, I still get messages on Instagram because not everybody can contact you so easily. And I get reviews and messages and people read the, the crucifix killer and they go, it's such a well-plotted book. And in my head, it's like, no, it isn't. It's like, <laughs> the book is a mess. In my, in my view, the crucifix killer is a mess. It's like the first chapters were just created out of nothing. I had no story. Then I was like, now create a story. Then the story didn't work out. I had to go back and repatch the story make the story work with the detective. So then when people go, it's such a well-written book and it's, it's, the story flows so well and everything. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like, to me, that book was a, was a pretty much a fruit seller. It's like, <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And then the agent said, change this. And there I was patching stuff up. So to me, that book is completely patched up. Mm. So I, it always amazes me. But that's what I did. So I wrote it. And then uh, when my agent said that, I was like, okay, I can change it because I am... And that's one thing that my agent, my editors always like about me. It's like, I, I got into this not knowing what to do. Like, for example, I said, when I started writing, I, I keep, I still do it today. It was like, I keep on asking myself, it's like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, you're not a writer. Because I can tell you the story of the crucifix kill about 20 minutes. And, and when I was writing it, my problem was like, how do I make 20 minutes go for 450 pages? I was like, how do I do that? I had no experience, never written anything. So how do I make a 20-minute story run for 400 pages? It's like, how in the world? So I just carry on pushing and pushing, and all of a sudden, there I was. How do you develop that then? Is it that you're, no descri idea. you're describing the smells? Because I've, I've read your book, uh, as it the caller? Yeah. And you're so descriptive about yeah, every yeah, tiny one, little detail. That's one you thing. can almost smell. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one thing that I... I a lot of my, I mean, the comment I get the most in every book and throughout my whole career as a writer is like, it's not for the skirmish. It's not, this is not for the, the, <laughs> the faint hearted. But, and, and they said it was very violent and I never understood why because I didn't read very much. And then when I got so many of those comments, I actually went out and bought a few books and started reading. I was like, ah, okay, now I understand. Okay, this is years ago. So 15 years ago when I started reading. So the internet was big, but not that big. So a lot of the books that I read, when I read a, a crime scene from any of the books, you can tell that that crime scene is either out of imagination or something that they saw in a film and then they just made it believe, right? My crime scenes come from memory. So I know what a crime scene is like. Mm. And my crime scenes, I remember writing reports. No, in a report, you have to be extremely descriptive. So in my mind, I am cutting this stuff out everywhere. I'm being very, very, you know, Blase about this shit. I was like, I'm not really going to details here, right? But compared to most of the other books, mine was extremely detailed mm. because I am used to, I was used to writing the super detail, you know, um, crime scene reports and everything. So here I am trying to cut this thing down, but still compared to other people. Like, and that's the thing. It's like readers pick that up. You know, they, they will read something and, and they'll go, this reads more truthful than this you know when they read they go they they can tell it's like this guy's got experience this guy doesn't it, it's it's one thing yeah. that he does it's like i remember because there's one book that i was writing i was really getting into it and my agent said if you're not getting into it stop writing it 
because I said your readers will pick up on it. They pick up if you don't if you're not into what you're doing, they will they will pick it up on when they're reading. It's like it does it does it comes across. So that was that was the thing. So um I I describe because again a lot of because I've seen everything. It's like serious. I've been to so many crime scenes, and I and in America, America is a different level when it comes to violent crime, like a different level. Like so you have. <laughs> Like, so you have uh, have crime, you have violent crime, you have ultra-violent crime, then you have 50 feet of shit, then you have America right there. It's, like, <laughs> it's unbelievable like, oh, what they, they, they do over there. So I've seen everything from decapitation, dismembering, a body cut in half this way, that way. Um, wow. uh, you know, head um, blended into a pope, um, burned alive, anything, <gasps> you know, gut it. Um, oh, my God. Uh, throat cut everything every kind of possible horrible thing you can imagine i've seen so it's impossible for me to try to write a crime scene that i don't get an image coming to my head mm. right so i i describe certain things but i i do li- uh, leave a lot of it out but then that's when i, I read other books that i realize why people say that my books are so descriptive it's just because mine come from memory. Mine is a little bit yeah. more it, it comes across maybe maybe a little bit more more truthful than the others I think that's better. I mean, the, it's you weren't reading books, so you were basing it on your own creation from your own memories. It, I think it would be highly influenced if you were to read loads and loads of crime books and then come up with a story because you would maybe unintentionally pinch little bits from other books, whereas you just went purely from experience. Yeah, memory. and I remember as well when I when I finished writing the crucifix skill and I gave the manuscript to a friend of mine, and she, she was an English teacher, so I gave it to her so so she would read it to um, correct all the mistakes and everything. And and I remember she, she called me and said, I got to read it again. I was like, oh, is it that bad? She goes, no, she said, I got so much into the story that I stopped correcting it. I just wanted to read. Oh, wow. Um, which was great. <laughs> yeah. But then she said, but the, the best thing about you, and she said, you have, you never study um, creative writing or anything like that. So I said, said, so you don't respect any of the rules. I said, you just write. And she said, and that's, and I was like, and, and I remember I did, this, I was touring and I was in, in Greece and the guy who was interviewing me, he was a creative writer, teacher. And I pretty much just ended this thing telling people, because I said, look, that's the thing. When you study creative writing, when you study any kind of thing, right? It puts you in a box because mm-hmm. you got rules. If you got rules, you got a box. You go, I can't go over this wall because the rule says I can't. Yeah. So you write inside a box. And she said, you don't have this. You are writing all over. You going over the, the walls and stuff. And, said, and it's fresh. And when you read it, you go, Wow. It's like, I don't respect any other rules. None of the rules. It's like, who created those rules? It's it's a book. It's like, and I tell these, so when people ask me, I said, it's your book. Write the book the way you want to write it. Not the way your teacher wants you to write it. Mm-hmm. Not the way your, your father wants it. It's your book. And that's what in our profession is called your voice. Your voice is how you tell your story, right? And that's what makes it different from others. Because I remember... Uh, when I when I wrote the book and I sent it out and I was in a party talking to, to this girl and I told her that I had written a book and she was like, oh, really? What is it about? And I said, oh, detectives chasing serial killers. And she was like, well, there are so many books about detectives chasing, chasing serial killers out there. What makes you think that you're going to get a deal? Is that what makes your book so much different than, than the others? And I couldn't answer. I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I was like, so probably I won't get a... And then when I got the deal, the book came out, I bumped into her again. She had read the book. And she said, remember that question I asked? I said, yeah. She said, I can tell what it was. She said, your voice. She said, the way you tell your story is different 
She said, you make it very excited the way you, you, you tell. So that's your voice. It's the way you tell your story. If you stick to rules and everything, then that's you're not telling your story the way you want to tell it. That's what your voice is. That's why when people ask me, oh, is there a book that you you wanted, you wanted, you wish that you had written? Like, I don't know, um, the Hannibal Lecter one, The Silence of the Lambs or something. Like, no, because if I had written, it wouldn't have been Silence of the Lambs. The reason why Silence of the Lambs is Silence of the Lambs is because it was written by by the, the author written. The, re- the reason why Harry Potter is Harry Potter is because it was written by J.K. Rowling. If anyone else mm. wrote that book, the story would come out differently. It would. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. that's what I say. It's like, th- that's her voice. What made that story incredible is her voice, yeah. right? And that's what happens to every book. The, the reason why the book is successful it's not only because the story is good it's because the way the story is told by that author and that's your voice so um i have no idea what the question was no 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 it was perfect it was perfect so how do you start a book and do you know the end before you start <laughs> again again every every author writes in, in their own way i don't have a specific way to me because i don't have any notes I don't write anything down. I have no notes on my wall. I just I just start writing. My stories are very good. I just start writing. So all I need is something that gives me an idea to go, okay, I can write this. So sometimes um, I've written some that all I had was the reason behind the murder, the reason why the guy would be killing. So it's like, okay, I can work with that. Um, for example, my second book, all I had, so The Executioner, all I had, I decided to write a, a killer who would use the victim's fears to kill them. So he would find out what scared of the victim and kill them that way. So if you're scared of spiders, he kills you with spiders. If you're scared of, of heights, he'll throw from a building. If you're scared of being buried alive, you'll be buried alive. Yeah. So he finds <laughs> out. And so that's that's the idea that I had. And that's it. I, that's all I had. I did not know who, who the killer would be. I did not. I didn't know how the story would, would move. I just sat down and started writing. Um, and that's what I do with every book. I'll come up with something that I go, I can use that. And then I go, I, and, and you're always looking for something. You can see something on the news or something on the street and you go, whoa, I can mm, twist that. And yeah. Then, you know. So you don't necessarily start writing and it's from the beginning. It'll be. No, I come, do. You I do. do. Yeah, okay. I am. I'm some, I know that some authors can do this. The same thing as um, doing a film. You know, you can record a scene that's going to come up, you know, halfway past. The, yeah, the, the, yeah. I, I can't do that. I am, and, and me, like, for example, so I will be writing something. Um, and because it's very organic, like I said, I don't plan. So I'm writing, writing, writing. And I, let's say I get up to chapter 20 and I think of something, oh, this is going to be very good. But for this work, I need to change something on chapter three and four. So so this, I can't carry on and go, I'll change it at the end. No, I got to stop, go all the way back, do the change. And, do, and it happened a lot. Um, the Caller, mm-hmm. the, the book that you read, right? So I'm writing that that, that book. And there's a character that I, I get this a lot. I, get, I write secondary characters, and people go, "Oh, the character has got a character, got to come back." So there's a character in the call called Mr. J. Yes. Right. So when I was writing that, all he was supposed to be was the husband of the victim. That's it. So when I was writing, starting the chapter, I just wanted to introduce the victim to the to the reader. So I was like, "Okay, how do I introduce this?" So I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna make him. They're both waking up." Or she's waking up in bed. She's waking up with her husband just before going to work. So that's all I wanted to do. It's like, so the reader knew who she was. Mm. So let's wake up, have breakfast, go to work. And as I start writing the scene, right, and they wake up next to each other, and I start writing the, the character, Mr. J, I stop and I go, what if I make him this? 
And I was like, can that work? And I was like, wow, because then, then that would put like a secondary story into the story. Yes. And I was like, I'll make it work. <laughs> I literally thought about it for like five minutes. And I just created this whole du- the different character and wow. he became what he was. And that's how I write. I'm, I'm, and I'm writing something. I go, I need a cliffhanger here or I need something here. And I just throw it in there. Um, it's, it's the way. I, so that's why I don't really get worried about creating a new story. Because like, I will come up with something that's going to give me an idea that I'll write this. Um, sometimes I think, Jesus, it's not. I shouldn't have done this idea. But that's that's how I do it. You know, I have no notes. I have nothing. Everything's in my mm. head. Seems Everything's like you're in, in a permanent head. state of creativity. Always there. Most artists are like that. If you're a musician, you're all the time as well. You're, you're thinking you can mm. hear a beat in the street and you go, whoa, that could be, or you know, all the kind of stuff. I just heard this thing, which was incredible. That So the the, the very famous song from Billie Eilish, Okay. There's this bit, and uh, I saw an interview with the guy and said, so they were in Australia. Now, when you cross in the street in Australia, the traffic light you know, has a sound, so the blind people know that they can cross. And they recorded that, and that is what's in the chorus. I really said, I didn't know that. Said, said, everyone thinks that's hi hat on the drums. Oh, yeah, yeah. Said, it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> sound of the, the traffic light. The crossing traffic light in Australia Ooh. for blind people. They said they were walking. They go, "Wow, that's a cool sound!" And they just record it on on the thing, and that's yeah. what they use in the in, in the song. Mm. So it's that thing you always, you know, out. If you're a musician, you always listen for sounds, mm. for a beat, for something. If you're a, a writer, you always, you know, you could see something, uh, something on the news, something on the newspaper something on the film, just one scene of the film mm. and you go, I can use that scene and create a whole story out of this, right? Yeah. And nobody will know that that came from, from a film that you watch and go, whoa, I can do that. And and that's how, how it goes for me. You know, I'll, something will come up and I, it's like, yeah, okay, I can use that as an idea. So every book is different. Every book, you know, I don't have a pattern that it's always like this. I need to, I know some authors that do. They need to have the ending. They need to have this. I don't. I just need to have an idea that my brain goes, you can work with this. And and there I go. That's so everyone everyone works differently. So that's the way I do it. Can you ever switch off during your writing period? Yeah, I mean I learned how to do with this. I, I I didn't know how to do that before. So at the beginning it was very bad. Um and the girlfriend that I said that was the girlfriend that I gave the, the first manuscript, you know. Um we were together for, for two five books. And the first three, I, I was, we would go to clubs and stuff, and you could see I was standing in the club, like, and people go, "He's thinking about the story." I couldn't disconnect, and and I suffered with that. It's like you know, friends and that stuff. People could see that I was yeah. always distant, and I, it's it, it took me a while. Obviously, I, I made the mistake, so I, I lost a few friends and stuff. But now, no. It's like like I said, I don't work weekends. You know, I finish the number of words I need to finish day. And I'm done for mm-hmm. the day. I don't do that. It's like you need to f- to f- to find a way to have a time for yourself, for time and time for your friends, time for your partner. If you have a partner, you need that, yeah. or else it's it's horrible. Yeah, consuming. so I learn. I learn how to do that. It, I, I learned the hard way, you know. But I learned how to do that. Now, not a chance. Weekends are for me. Weekends are for my friends. I go out. I go dancing. We, go, we sit down and watch films. Um, like I said. Like some days, um, I can finish the, the words. Some day because again, I don't 
plan my research. So some days if I'm writing something and I need to research, those days go a little bit longer mm. because I need to research. But some days I can be done by like 10.30 in the morning because I start so early anyway. And then that's it. And I don't push because now that I live alone, um, if I finish the, the, the manuscript before the deadline, nothing changes because the book, will, the, the, the release of the book is, is pre-programmed like months before. They can't change it. So if they set the release of your book for February mm -hmm. and your deadline, let's say, is September and you finish the book in June, the, the, the release is not going to change. All right. you do, you get two more months of nothing, mm -hmm. right? Fine, if you if you have a partner or family and you, you can travel, but I don't. So all it gives me is more free time for me to sit alone in my house. So then I don't do that. It's like I make my calculations. Like I need to do this number of words so I finish by my deadline. You don't get a bonus if you if you hand it in earlier. Nothing, nothing mm -hmm. happens, right? So it's like if nothing happens, what's the point of me pushing? You know what I mean? It's like yeah, there's yeah. no point of me stressing myself more and writing more words than I should write a day because I'm not getting more money for it. The book's not going to get released first. Nothing happens. So I was like, no. So I do what I do. When I'm done, I'm done. I'm out of the office. Um, and that's it. I don't think of the story anymore. I might no. be, you know, sometimes you hear something, oh, I could change that on the dialogue. That's it. Yeah. But that's it. Mm. I'll take like 20 seconds thinking about it and that's it. I don't, I don't do it. So I learned the, the, the hard way, but I believe that you need to. You need to be like in, that, in any profession. If, yeah. you're, if your mind is always on the profession and you have a family or you have, they will notice this mm. and, and you will suffer. There's no way that you won't suffer. You know, everything, you need to put effort into it. Yeah. Family and relationships are the same, so. Yeah, I think even my my kids at the moment they're saying, "Mummy, like, when are you doing your next podcast?" I'm like, "I may be talking about it too much." <laughs> so yeah, I mean the the balance is it's very yeah. very important. So if you could go back in time and change one specific moment in your career, what would it be? In my career or in my yeah. life? In your career. Well, in my career, nothing. I there's nothing that I that I'm. I consider myself the luckiest person as career goes ever like i said i never thought about doing this it's not and and here i am it's, it's like i'm publishing 25 different languages in over 45 countries um being number one in several countries with several books not only one from, from somebody who never even thought about it there's nothing that i would have done differently it's like it's not that i i lost a deal because i didn't do this and 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 i I am. I can't believe that I am where I am. Um, so career-wise, uh, there's nothing that I would change. There's nothing that I would would have done differently. It's like for me, maybe start writing earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the only thing I probably would start writing earlier. But there's nothing that I that I wanted to change. It's like you know, um, uh, one thing that my agent told me is like there, there are a lot of people that they will go to number one with their first book. That, the pressure on that is horrible. I know because I met a guy. He wrote a book, became became a filmer, so I'll be very, very good. It's called Before I Go to Sleep. S.J. Watson, I think his name is. I forgot. But I met him. Amazing guy. Super, super nice. But his book went number one in like 50 countries. It's like, it, it was an amazing book. Became a filmer with Nicole Kidman and everything. It's like, wow. it's an amazing story, mm -hmm. right? Incredible story. But that was his first ever book. Like, problem from the word go. Like my agent said, said, okay, to start with, 
from then on, you can never better yourself. All you can do is equal it. And whatever you do, if you don't go to number one, you're going to consider yourself a failure because that's how the human mind works. I know I studied mm. human behavior. That's how the human mind works, right? If your second book doesn't hit number one, even if it hits number two, which is a super amazing achievement on your second book, you get to number two, um, you're going to feel, oh, it, was, it wasn't as good as the first one and everything. If your book goes to number 10, then you're already thinking about killing yourself because you think I'm such a failure. And that's what happened. He got, he got the first book to number one. The second book was supposed to come out a year later. It took him six years to write it because right. the company said, look, because the pressure you put yourself yeah. on, you write it and you go, this is not as good. There's one of the books that I always recommend to everyone. It's an amazing book. It's called I Am Pilgrim, right? That book was released about seven or eight years ago. Fantastic book. It's supposed to be a trilogy, mm -hmm. right? Um, the second book is supposed to come out a year later, a year and a half later, right? Okay. The book did so well that the second book is still not out. It's going to be, be out in November this year, I think. It's the second book because the book was so fantastically good. That was like, okay, you need to, you need to match the first one or else, especially because his was a trilogy. Um, in the case of S.J. Watson, it wasn't. It was like just a, a, a different story. Mm. But there are so many examples out there that people write one book that just goes phenomenally well. And then the second book bombs. So my agent always says the best way for you to get to number one is like build, build. So my agent also represents Lee Child, which is one of the biggest authors yes. on the planet. Lee Child only got to number one after the book number nine. And he said, so he built then the second book, so better than the first one, the third book, so better than the second mm -hmm. one, fourth, better than the third. So he built his career slowly. It's like people knew what they would get. People knew what they would get. They knew. So when the book really got number one, it's because the following his following was growing, 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 yeah. growing, growing. Okay. So it got to the point that the following was so so big that when they bought the books, you would get to number one. So every book that he releases after that, because it's all about Jack Reacher, number one, because the following grows. I did the same. I got to number one in the, my book number eight mm -hmm. here. So the following kept on growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And, and my agent always said, this is the best way for mm. you to become successful. Because if you become successful straight away, say it's, it's luck. It's like you just wrote a story out of the blue that's amazing for you to match that story. Very few authors have done this. You feel right? so vulnerable as well. Yeah, very few authors mm. have like come up with one book that becomes a number one. And then the other book, you know, it, it doesn't do well. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey, when she tried to write a different series didn't didn't go well. The girl that wrote um what's the vampire series again? The Twilight. Twilight. Yeah. Right. And then after Twilight she tried to write something else, which mm. was a different still didn't do nearly half as well as that. It's like and that's the thing. It's like it's very difficult. So um yeah, I got I got lucky. Like I said, I, I wrote the first one, never even thought anybody would like it. People did, you know, um it got some amazing comments and when the second one came out People like it as well. And, and like I said, and it was like, it was word of mouth. I mean, the other, the other thing that I got very lucky is like, was right at the beginning when Instagram was also starting. And that's how I, people came to know my books. My, my publishing house didn't really put a lot of advertisements there. So it wasn't a lot of money. The reason why I got to where I, to where I am at the moment is not because they spent a lot of money trying to put posters out. They did, you know, they, they did quite a lot of stuff, but it wasn't simply because of that. It's because... I, I didn't even know this, the, 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 the bookstagrams, the way they people read it, like it, word of mouth. 
They put mm. it out there. That sound Fifty Shades of Grey go big as well. It's like word of mouth. People really like it. See, I read this book. It's an amazing book. Read it. Then you see that. Go, oh, wow. It, it sounds like something I like. Yeah. And then it starts. And that's how so many people in so many different careers got to do well or do something you know that they love doing. It's because the word of mouth and people see and go, oh, I like that too. Then I'm going to follow mm. this person. And that's, that's how we went. Um so yeah, I wouldn't change anything. I just I got very lucky. I'm, like I said, I I am very lucky that people like the the craziness that comes out of my head. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm very I'm very grateful that that people enjoy you know the craziness that my head puts out really. And here I am. So what's next? Have you got any big plans? Um, well, no, not really. I'm, I'm too old now to change careers. So this is going to be, I'm gonna <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, as yeah. a writer, I'm going to end on this. Yeah. So, um, I, I just finished writing, I'm actually editing the, the new book, which is going to come out 2024. And then after that, I'll go to a different, write a different book, but it's the first time that I am thinking I'm going to write something different from Hunter. I'm not ending the series. A lot of people think I'm ending I'm not ending the series, but I want to do something different. And then I'll come back to the series as well. But I want to do just one different. I have other ideas for other stories. And so I was like, you know what? But the, the funny thing is like this dream that I told you that I um, was what made me write the first book, right? So I, tell, I told the story everywhere. Every, every interview I do, people ask me how I became a writer. So the story of the dream comes out. So everybody has <laughs> So then um, obviously my editors here have asked about it. When I was in Germany, I was touring and you in, uh, in the train for such a long time. So. The, the actor that was doing the reading and the people from my publishing house asked me about what's the, the story of the dream. So I told them, everyone I told the story of this dream, they always go, uh, Chris, you need to write that, <laughs> right? And now, so I'm getting that opinion, not from my ex-girlfriend. I'm getting that opinion from people in the industry. This is agents, um, uh, editors, and people who work with publishing houses go, you need to write the story. So it was a good story. So I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe I should. Just write this one story because everyone that I tell the story, they go, that's a good story. You should tell, write the story. So maybe even call the book The Dream because <laughs> it is, you know. So I've been thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should I should write this this dream that was a f- what instigated me to start, you know, the, this whole series. And here I am 13 books later. Finally, I will write The Dream. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking that after I finish the edits of this book, I'll take like a couple of weeks off and then start the next one. But um, yeah, I think I think this is gonna be the rest of my career for now. Just writing, I love I love doing it. I love doing it. I mean, you're you're an amazing writer. I think all oh, of my fam- all my family have your books. It was actually <laughs> quite funny because I went to see my mum one day and she had one of your books. I think it was Hunting Evil. She had it on her coffee table, and I was like. I know that guy. <laughs> no way. I got, I got some, <laughs> I mean, there was, I went to a festival in, in Sheffield and then we, we came back to the hotel room for an after party and everything. And then this girl was talking to me all night and she asked me what I did for a living. And I, I, I never liked saying, so I, I told her, I actually told her that I was a sale, sales, uh, Bible salesman <laughs> and she actually believed me, but that was very convincing. I said that I was, I was like, yeah, look, it's, it's still, it still happens. I, I sell the Bible and everything. So we talked for a long time, and then um, a couple of weeks later, they were here, and another friend of mine was in her house, the, the girl that was talking to me, and she's had like five of my books, and she was like, oh, we write Chris Kanye, I love him, and then my friend was like, you know that you met him, right? And, and she, the girl goes, met who? I said, met Chris, Chris Carter, the guy who writes those books, and she goes, what do you mean I met him? I said, you went to the hotel room, with the, remember the party in Sheffield? I said, you were talking to him for hours. I said, 
Oh, the long hair guy with the tattoo said, no, the Bible salesman. <laughs> and my friend just started laughing. Said, he told you that he was a Bible salesman? And she was like, yeah. And, and, she, and my friend was like, and you believed him? And she was like, that guy is Chris Carter. I said, yeah. <laughs> so she, then, then she bumped into me in a club once. And she was like, ah. She started like cursing at me. Um, but yeah, it happens a lot. And people come as well. They, they came back to mind like in, in an after party, after club. And then when they realize who I am, they go, my mom loves your books. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. But yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I've, yeah, I've met you so many times and you'd not mention that you're a writer. I I'm, guess it's nice to just take a break from it though, right? Because when you're out, you can just escape that a little bit because to me i'm just lucky it's like to me it's nothing it's like it's a writer it's like look most people that if i ever mentioned that i was a writer they go okay yeah but what do you do for money because they don't know uh, it's like yeah i want it's the same thing as you say i'm a musician it's like they just expect you to be in a band and that's it they, they don't expect you to be published so like, i've had this before that i i said to this one girl that said that i was i was a writer she goes oh okay yeah yeah she was like, and then somebody came up to me dude your last book was amazing and everything and then she was like oh you're published i was like yeah i'm published right and then they think oh you're self-published I said no i'm actually signed to a major publishing house and that's the thing that they are nowadays a lot of people just publish their own stuff through amazon and stuff so it's I don't do that. I don't. I, I just, people ask me what I do. I, usually now what I say, I say, look, my job is boring. When the people say, what do you do? I say, I work with computers. My job is boring. <laughs> That's what, it's, it's pointless. It's like, I don't, I'm just a writer. It's like, serious. I'm, I'm not different than anyone. When people say stuff like that, say, you're an amazing writer. I'm not. It's like, I just, I'm, it's, I just have a crazy head. It's, like, it's not even that, you know, my writing is very simple. I always say to people, I'm not even a writer. I'm probably a storyteller. It's like, I know how to tell a story that will get people interested. Mm. But my writing is super simple. If you read my books, I don't use difficult language. You know, if my sentences are short. And a lot of people say that. I got a lot of comments on that. People said his language is super, is so approachable. It's like people said, I'm dyslexic. And I said, and I love reading your books because he's so easy to read your books. It's like the chapters are short. The sentences are short. You don't try to complicate anything. You just tell it. And I was like, that's what I do. That's why I say, mm. tell the story the way you want to tell it. Don't try to complicate. Oh, I need to write this beautiful. It's like same thing as musicians. You guys probably seen this. Um, you can be a virtuoso musician, know how to play everything and don't get any, anywhere. And then you get a garage band like kids that knows three goddamn chords, right? And they write a number one song, right? <laughs> and they become number one. Same thing in writing. You can write like Shakespeare. If you don't have a story to tell, nobody cares. Right? Nobody cares how beautiful you write. You need to you need to have a story to tell. You need to to tell them something that gets them engaged that they like. And that's my my mind comes up with all these darkness, you know, this dark stuff <laughs> that people enjoy. And I'm very grateful for that because I don't really know what I do now. Like I said, I'm still. When the girl asked me why do you think you got to do, I don't. I don't. I didn't know, and I still don't. It's like I just sit and I write. That's it. I don't think much about it. I don't try to complicate. I don't try to think, oh, I need to do this. I just write. You know, I, the story, the way it comes to me is like, I'm going to put, sometimes I go, oh yeah, I can do this. And I change a little bit of the story just to make it more exciting. But I, but to me again, I can't think the whole story ahead. I couldn't be a good chess player because I cannot think more than a move ahead. I, I, I go like a, a puzzle. I go a piece at a time. So I wrote this chapter. So this happened. So what's going to happen next? So I think, okay, if this was a real case, 
and I was working with the police, what would we do next? And I write that next page. So, okay, now this happened, what happens there? And I put piece after piece. I can never think of the whole story I had. I can't do that. To me, my head, no. So I go, that's how I work. So again, everyone writes in their own way. Everyone has their own style of writing. This is how I do it. Yeah. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like you're going so much into your story that you're you're there you're part of it so you couldn't be at the end if you were a lot of people say that's it that i can feel this it's like i feel that i'm inside your book and so i was like really i was like Mm. i don't i don't know again it's it's just the way i do it I i do every book the same i sit there and i write and i write the way it comes into my head i don't yes i reread and go okay i can rephrase this better but i don't try to rephrase it better to use more uh, no prettier words or something like that or words that are going to make me sound like i'm intellectual i just want to rephrase it but i say okay this make a little complicated i can make it easier for people to understand what i mean and that's my my problem because i use a lot of criminal psychology in the book and i don't want to be don't want to override on it you need to describe you need to describe short but they still have to understand what you mean so instead of trying to do like a a lecture Mm. in in something on on criminal psychology just a few sentences but that will give them the idea of what you're talking about and that's that to me is took a while to to do that um to get to try to write little but still explain what you Mm -hmm. want you know, it happens a lot, especially with research. I did it, the, the, the new book, there's a lot of things that happen inside the, the autopsy room. So there's a lot of medical, there was a lot of medical research that I had to do for this. And you will research, like, read 10 pages for you to write two lines. But the thing is that because you read 10 pages, you want to try to write everything. It's like, oh, it, it sounds so good. And you want to, but you got to learn how to, you're going to read, like, 20 pages to write a paragraph, right? And you got to comp- condense everything into just a few words but you got to put that 20 pages that you read through to what the reader is going to understand oh, and that's i learned how to do that it took me a while but i learned how to do that so yeah i mean you i i have no words i mean you you are such a fascinating man and you're you're <laughs> effortless like you're you're writing i know that you're like oh i'm i'm you know it's just me but you really are an incredible man and oh thank you i have <laughs> Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. It's been incredible. Thank you. Let's go drinking. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. How epic was that? A chat that left me buzzing for a while. What I love most is how honest and humble he is. And I've been watching criminal psychology programs on Netflix ever since. I'm sure you'll be eager to read Chris Carter books, so I put a link to his books plus link to Chris Carter in the show notes. And he is so worth it. The books are immense. And he is just proof that it doesn't matter how old you are, you can get into something that you truly, truly love. So inspiring. Really, I... I really can't get over how incredible he is. Thank you again for all of your support. I will continue to put all my efforts into making this podcast the best it can possibly be. Please continue to spread the word. Thank you all so much. Oh, and happy Halloween. (music) 